Blog Talk Radio. Welcome once again to Madam Perry Salon. I am your host, your groove mistress, and your spiritual advisor, Madam Perry. If you can call me Jen, Jennifer, JP, Perry, I don't care. I am just happy to be here and very happy that you are here as well. Uh, so many fun things have been happening, and, and you and listeners, you've all been so kind. I have to thank you, first of all, for everyone who subscribes on whatever podcast app you listen to, be it Spotify, iHeartRadio, Apple iTunes, Blog Talk Ready, whatever. Thank you so much for subscribing and for downloading and sharing and the nice reviews you leave. I really appreciate it. And I always like the suggestions you give me. Um, let see. Last show we did was Alana Pratt. Uh, she is a spiritual advisor. She has six books out now, and some meditation coaching, and she helps do a little matchmaking, too, I believe. But her latest book is From Heartbreak to Heartmates, and it is, some people say it's one of her best yet. I think it's people who have been reading all of her books and following her and going to her events. So check that out, too. Alana Pratt, she is just such a treasure to have on the show. Also, you know, we had Dave Cos, Grammy Women. Grammy-winning saxophone player on just a few months ago, and he's on tour with his Christmas show, so definitely get out and see Dave if you can. Also, another one of our favorite guests, he's been on a couple of times, Chasm Sultan. You probably know him as a bass player for Todd Rundgren, and he's also played with, and Utopia. He's also played with Joan Jett, uh, Blue Oyster Cult, Pretty much everyone. Uh, I think he's a musical director for Meatloaf. Um, the Chasm has a concert coming up on December 3rd. It is called Chasm Sultan Up Close and Personal. It's his pre-birthday show. Uh, so it's Saturday at 8 p.m. at Factory Records Shop, 158 West Clinton Street, Dover, New Jersey. And they're going to have all kinds of... Uh, Goodies and giveaways, Deco Entertainment and Factory Records. It's going to bring you an intimate night with Catherine performing in the lounge, and you also get to hang with him. If you've ever been to his his um, solo shows, he really does make sure he shakes the hand of every person who came to the show. Uh, but you also get a Catherine tote bag filled with CD, oh, a bottle of wine, chocolates, and some of Deco Entertainment's latest releases. So check that out on Eventbrite and go. That will be a fantastic evening. Um, we love Kevin. Oh, and he was also in part of the Gilmore Project that was touring earlier this year, and I think it's still going on. So don't miss that. Uh, and happy birthday, Kevin. So tonight's guest is somebody. Um, 
she's a very busy woman. I don't know how she's had time to come here, but she just fascinates me. She is the I don't want to, well, I'll tell you what, let me put it this way. She's a travel expert with the mission to raise awareness of the world through meaningful travel and cultural understanding. Uh, she founded the Go Eat Give company. It's, it's a nonprofit in 2011 through which she educates the community about adventure and cross-cultural engagement through food and travel. The organization, Go Eat Give, provides aid to grassroots projects across different countries, offers customized, luxurious travel experiences to individuals and groups, um, and it sounds like the most marvelous way to travel. I've, read, I've listened to several interviews she's done with people explaining it. It's fantastic. Um, an award-winning writer, she's written for uh, Time Magazine, Atlanta Magazine, AAA, Condé Mass Traveler, CNN, Southern Living, Huffington Post, Travel Leisure, Everybody who's worth reading, she's written for. And, but she's also authored a series of children's illustrated books on travel. Uh, and so I think that's where we're going to leave. They're, about her, they're based on her real cat, the Otto, and her actual travels. And inspire young readers to learn about different countries and cultures, as well as develop their own wanderlust. And I am ready I'm a, I'm a Beato fan already, so I am ready to introduce for the first time here in Madame Perry's Salon, Sucheta Rawl. Welcome to Madame Perry's Salon. Thank you, Jennifer, for having me. Well, I am absolutely thrilled to have you here. I think you're such, um, you speak everywhere, and, and you've been on the several TV shows, you're interviewed often, you are got to be the hardest working woman and the travel writing uh, biz and everything else you do in the world. And so I'm, I'm just thrilled that you even have, you, you have time for us. Thank you so much. Um, my listeners have been very excited about this, that people have been messaging me about it. And my uh, producer, Megan, who has been talking with you, um, we are absolutely thrilled. And it all began because of a party. And was that your birthday party? It was my husband's birthday party, and I believe your husband was uh, in the band. Yeah, he was doing sound, and he played in the band, too. And so then he says, I've got to tell you about this. Well, he even I think he even texted and then called me while he was still there going, you've got to meet this lady. This is somebody you've got to have on the show. So, um, And you kindly gave me one of the books. So I want to talk about Beato first. Or Beato, um, first. Beato is a children's book. It's illustrative about travel, and they're based. Now, I said that they're based on your real cat, Beato. But tell me, what kind of cat is he? That's right. He's a Norwegian forest cat who lives right here in in Atlanta, and I adopted Beato when he was six weeks old, and he is twelve now. So he is the inspiration of all the books. Um, just like cats have a wanderlust, they are inquisitive, and they are curious about uh, trying different things. That's what Beato does in the book. He goes to different countries, he meets kids, and he tries to learn about different cultures, the food, the people, the wildlife. And because he's a cat, he doesn't have any colors or any uh, ethnicities that he associates with himself. 
so he blends in wherever he goes. Oh, that's fantastic. And and what a beautiful premise, too. Now, what gave you, what, what was the inspiration of the first part for this series? So the first book is Beato Goes to Greenland. And Greenland is not a country that you often read about uh, kids who are growing up there. But when I went to Greenland, I stayed on a sheep farm, which had a seven-year-old girl, and she lived there on this very remote area of Greenland, in southern Greenland, where she lived with her parents and 200 sheep and two dogs. She had no cell phones, no cable television, no internet, and the nearest neighbor was 40 minutes by boat. And oh. by boat, in like you're going through glaciers. Uh, on a, It's frozen. So this little girl was so disconnected from the rest of the world, yet she spoke three languages, and she was my tour guide for the stage. You know, she was talking to me, taking me around. We, we chatted for a long time. We would go picnicking and hiking. We would watch the northern lights at night, and she was like a little adult. So how the, her story of how she's living here, uh, growing up in this remote area of Greenland, needs to be told with kids who have everything and they live in a big city, and yet they're still so far removed from other people. So that was the inspiration for the Piero Goes to Greenland book and all the photographs you see in there, the illustrations are based on actual photos of Ina, who was the little girl in the book. She's a teenager now. And it's basically all the things that we did. We were walking around glaciers, going in boats, hiking with her dogs. And this little girl is telling her story about, about the country of Greenland. How fantastic. Uh, and you still stay in touch with her? I do, yeah. I uh, talk to her mom quite regularly and check in on Ina's progress. And the when I sent her a copy of the book when it first came out, and she did not know that I had done this, and oh, I wanted her mom to surprise her. So I asked her what was her reaction to seeing herself in the pages of a physical book. And her mom said she started crying the moment she saw the book. But the reason was not because there was a book based on her. The reason was she saw her dogs in the illustration, and those dogs had since been put to sleep because the wild fox who bit them. And that just broke her heart. Oh, so you made you and your illustrator made your dogs immortal, in a sense. That's right. <laughs> Other people could read about them and love them. Oh, that is so sweet. That is so lovely. Um, but yeah, you're right. So many things. I don't. I, I think when I was in school, Greenland was just something they showed you on the map and then kept on going. And we didn't really learn much about it, if anything. So what a fantastic way to share knowledge and create an interest. Uh, so then the next book, what was the next one? The next book was Israel. That's uh, Beato Goes to Israel. 
And the inspiration for that was because when I was in the city of Jerusalem, and uh, it was a, such a small area, it's like six miles, but there were people from all these different religions and backgrounds who had been living in this small area for thousands of years. Seeing the media, what we hear is like there's so much conflict, it's not safe, people don't get along. But my my experience of walking through those ancient walls was that, well, we there's so, so much neighbors. When you have so many neighbors living together in such a small proximity, yes, there is some conflict. But I felt there was more of harmony than conflict. Mm-hmm. And that's what I wanted to portray in the book, that people from different cultures and different religions do get along in Israel. And everybody has a story, uh, but we have to learn to live in harmony. Mm. Yeah, harmony is a beautiful word. I'm glad you said that. And because uh, I, t- I think of it as something that, about blending, you know, blending sounds, blending voices, and then blending um, cultures to mm-hmm. make something beautiful. So after, now when, tell me something about when you were in Jerusalem, um, what kind of experiences did you have there that you put in the book? Because I know so I, I interviews, but I want to hear from you. I went mainly for a food and wine experience for across the entire country. That was a story I was working on. But I made a lot of friends locally, and I just loved the people there. I loved the food there. There's such a melting pot of different cultures coming together, and everybody's kind of held on to their speciality. So walking through the markets and seeing there's like one vendor who's been just making burekas for the last 100 years, or one vendor that's only making hummus for the last 100 years, and there's a line out the door, people come only to eat hummus. And you know, that, that was, for me, it was like, wow, they're not really expanding into like opening a full service restaurant, which is what we would do here in America, but they have one dish that they perfected across generations, and that's all they do. And they do it so well. <laughs> so don't mess with success. <laughs> right. That's fantastic. So when um, now was the next book, Indonesia? The author goes to Indonesia? That's right. Yeah, and Indonesia is one of those countries where I've been traveling to for a long time. Uh, As you mentioned, my nonprofit organization, Go Eat Give, also has a project in Indonesia. Children who have uh, from the villages and don't have adult supervision or may not be able to afford to go to school. So the project we work there helps these kids to get uniforms, school supplies, and tuition, and if they need adult care, then we also provide that and meals. So that's one of the reasons I've been going to Indonesia. I also take people on tours there. And then over time, when I started doing the Beato Goes to series of books, that's when I decided to book about Indonesia. And uh, as you may have seen, some of the proceeds from that book also contribute to our project there. Oh, wonderful. Now, 
the course of book, uh, my first Beato book is Beato Goes to Japan because you very kindly gifted it to me. Uh, <laughs> I love Japan, and that was the first country I ever went to. Oh, wonderful. Yeah, and what happened was as soon as uh, my husband and I got married, I said, you know, they're going to see you different. For, for some reason, they'll think because you're married, you're more serious or settled. He goes, oh, no, it'll all be the same. And two months after we got married, they sent him to Japan. And he ended up being, he was supposed to be there for two months, maybe three, ended up being there for actually five total. But um, I had never been, didn't know anything about it. But I thought, if he goes, he's going to have a good time no matter where he's with, at, whoever he's with, he will have a good time. So I took some money I had saved up, and I went and spent a month there and just fell in love with it, mostly in Takahashi out in the Guma Prefecture, but then some time in Tokyo with some friends that he had that used to live in Atlanta. But what I did was I went... Because he was working in the daytime, I would meet him and his friends at night for dinner, but I would just go exploring, and I went to an English school thinking, well, somebody will be wanting to practice English. And I took Japanese for about three months before I went, just to be able to say, like my husband would always do, was take a few lessons on courtesies and please and thank you before he went to any, any country. And so I met some ladies there. They invited me for lunch. For that we had a good time. And I think I see, that's what I felt when I heard you talk about um, Go Eat Give, was that it's not just all luxury and hop-on, hop-off tours. You meet people and, and get a taste of real life, and that's what I did with these ladies. And it was just absolutely enchanting to feel like I was meeting um making friends. That's right. And I, I love that you said that you learn a few words about every country where you go to. And I try to do that at least things like hello, please, and thank you. And when I traveled to Japan, there was no iPhones or Google Translator time. I, I didn't have it. But the last few times I went there, I had the Google Translators. And everywhere I went, even like the smallest villages where nobody spoke English, we would have long conversations just using our phones. <laughs> yeah, people were just so eager to get to know you and talk to you about your life. And I was interested in theirs. So we would just take out our phone and we would speak into the translator and they'll speak back and we would just keep going with it. Oh, fun. <laughs> and isn't that see that's such a um, how fantastic that we have that kind of technology now yeah and I'm sure your three months of Japanese came in quite handy too well, well it, it, it did and then another thing that helped though was that for some people and there were some restaurants that we went to a lot that um, if they didn't speak uh, English they did speak some French. So whenever we ran out of Japanese to work on something, we do it in French. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, had a great time. And then uh, uh, one of my husband's co-workers from his company, Ben, was from, uh, was from Thailand. But he spoke no Japanese. So every time they came to our table, they'd look at him and ask him to order for us. And he'd look at us, I don't know, <laughs> ask her. <laughs> 
and of course, I just, I, I was just in love. I just thought, okay, this is the way to live. This is the way to live. Lots of people from different places, different experiences, different knowledge, and come together and and, and learn and share how um, how lucky can you get. Fantastic. Uh, so, yeah, so Beata Goes in Japan was perfect for me. Now, your most recent book, Beata Goes to Brazil, and I think what makes that one especially exciting to me, you know, I haven't read it yet, was that, uh, as I understand, I hope I got this right, the inspiration for this and the inspiration or for one of the characters in the book is a boy that lives in Atlanta. That's right. I was actually speaking at a school, at an elementary private school in Atlanta, uh, where they bring in authors to come and talk. And after I read the book, one of my Q&A with the students, this uh, kid came to me at the end of the class, and he had his book signed, and he said, well, um, Ms. Cheta, you should go to Brazil next. And I said, well, why? And he said, because I'm from Brazil. <laughs> and I said, well, I, my best friend actually is from Brazil, and I've traveled with her quite a few times. And I, I picked up a lot of Portuguese culture from her. So I said, oh, that's very interesting. But, you know, I get that all the time. Like everywhere I go speak to kids and they're very excited and they say, well, you should write about this country or this place or even sometimes it's New York. So I took it into account but dismissed it. But her, uh, this, this little boy's father wrote to me that later that evening and said, my son cannot stop talking about you. And he came and told me everything about uh, the author event, and he really wants you to do a book on Brazil. And the father was um, had was a recent immigrant from Brazil, a professor, and he said, "Well, if there's anything I can do to help you, uh, let let us know, and we would we would love to share Brazilian culture with you or anything, but we would love for you to do a book." So months later, when I was working on my next book, I reached out to them and said, well, would Pietro like to be in the book? And uh, he's a big sportsman. His father is a sports instructor, um, sports professor as well. So that was his role in the book. And the book is actually about being outdoors and enjoying different kinds of sports. And also in Brazil, you know, you have the rainforest and you have wildlife, um, but people just like being outdoors. They like being on the beach. They like playing soccer. They have invented so many different games. So that's what Bieto goes to Brazil is all about being outdoors and playing. It's <laughs> so great. Now, I saw when you spoke, uh, a video where you spoke at the um... – uh, Brazilian consulate in Atlanta, mm-hmm. and Pietro was there, right? Yes. yes, he was there with his mom and dad, and he was very happy, very pleased. Um, also, one of the ladies uh, in the book, she is a samba dancer here in Atlanta, and she was also there um, at the event, 
and you can see her um, illustration in the book as well. Oh, no kidding. Now, that, that's the lady in the sauna in the costume on the uh, big image behind you? Uh, so she's not the one performing. She was attending that day, but okay. she is a very samba dancer in Atlanta. Okay, because I saw the one, Andrea Morera. Yes, that's right. Yes, that's a friend of mine. Really? Wow. Yeah, wow. I've, I've known her maybe about, I don't know, 20 years maybe. Wow. <laughs> yeah, when I saw that picture, I said, oh, my God, that's Andrea. <laughs> Have a picture. Hey, small world, huh? <laughs> right. Now you know so many characters of the book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I, I, I love her so much. She's the most she has the most marvelous, marvelous energy, as well as being just very beautiful and talented. But yeah, it's not a long time. So that's very cool. Um, just fascinating. So now I see too on on your website that after this, well, actually not after this, after um, in 2020, you released a an animated comic book series during the lockdown. Um, I had somebody reach out to me to work on this project where they wanted me to do an animated comic book to entertain kids who are stuck at home and maybe teach them something important, life lessons. So the the series is called Chiti and the Colony of Atlantis. So Chiti means ant in Hindi which is the language of India, where I am from. And Atlantis is kind of like a play on Atlanta. But it's... <laughs> so the Ant at Atlanta, basically. <laughs> and these uh, colony of ants are basically stuck in an apartment um, and they are watching the, these kids who are becoming lazy. They're watching TV. They're eating fast food. And they're not going out anywhere. So they devised a plan to get the kids to go out and realize that there's a beautiful world outside. Okay. And by the way, if you're listening live tonight, first of all, uh, if you have a question or want to call in, the number is 646-716-9922. And that's a toll-free call in the continental U.S. Or if you're in a place where you can't make a phone call, you know, like a night drive or something. Uh, we've, we've all been there, haven't we, Pacheco, where you can't make a call but you got to. Uh, you can always message in a question or comment to me on Facebook, either through Madam Perry Salon or Jennifer Maudette Perry. And if you're listening, I've just posted the video from Queen TT in the Colony of Atlantis. I just posted a video there on Facebook. So, so uh, very, very, very clever. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I like that a lot. Um, and what? How, how did you? Because I'm I'm not an artist, so I'm fascinated with people like you who create such worlds and things and characters and people. I'm I'm just in awe. Um, so is Queen Titi, is she Hindi or is she Indian? She looks 
um, it's hard to tell where she's from. So she is darker skinned, um, mm-hmm. and she has an uh, African American um, um, artist who is doing her voiceover. Uh, but her name is Indian. So it's as you can see from all my books, it's very multicultural. I try to show the diversity of the world, and it's a little bit hard to tell where they're from, but they are from um, all my uh, illustrators, my artists, um, the voiceover artists, uh, even the publisher. We are pretty much from all over the world. Now, how did, how did, oh, you know, the thing with the, excuse me, Queen Chidi, I'm fascinated by her. Um, many, many years ago, when I was first going to college, I had two professors who were from Jabalpur, India. And I know you're from the northern part of India. Is that right? That's right. And so, uh, so, Anyway, it was a husband and wife, and one was learned psychology from one and philosophy from uh, from the husband. And they hired me one summer as a housekeeper because they had family coming in from India to stay. So they hired me for um, a few months, and I had to learn, well, if they had to, it was not a chore, to cook for them. Wow. And so, and even my little brother, he loved um, uh, chapati, uh, paratha, uh, oh, oh, we loved it, we fell in love. And I'll tell you what, it, I'll tell you what the, it, it did do to me. Learning to cook for people from India. Um, as you can tell, I'm Southern. And so if I go to a southern restaurant, it doesn't taste like real southern food to me because it's not like my mother's. Because <laughs> the Johans taught me to cook for their family, if I go to Indian restaurants, I'm going to say, I'm going to compare it to home-cooked Indian food. That is too funny. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is for tourists. So, but I remember it was just, uh, to me, that was just another um, a very, very fortunate thing that happened to me because I got to, you get to know people in a different way when you're working with them or for them like that and get to learn about different cultures and different people. So, and I stayed friends with them till the end of their lives. They were just very lovely people um, and a big influence on me. So, that to your books and your animations. Tell me, the, the drawings are just so exquisite. How did you find your illustrator? And how do you communicate and to get just the look you want? So that's an interesting story because I'm not, I don't draw. I um, take a lot of photos. And all the illustrations are based on actual photographs that I've taken during my travels. And I searched online for an illustrator. I worked with several people across different countries to see whose work style I like. And then I decided to go with this lady in Romania. And we only communicated by email. And uh, for four 
of the five books, we worked together, not having ever met in person, never spoke on the phone. It was all done by email because I would send her notes and photographs and she would draw up her work because it's very realistic. It is um, mm. almost like a comic book, not like a picture book. You can pick up a lot of nuances in the photos. Um, oh. And who are also learning to read may not understand the words, but they can see the pictures and see what's going on in there. And kids who are reading, they are still going to gravitate towards the photos and pick up additional things that are not covered in the text. So I thought it was a clever way of combining the art with, with the words. Yeah, um, so it was not until 2019 where we actually met in person. Um, my, I was invited to a book fest in Romania by the U.S. Embassy there. And um, when I heard this event was going to be in Romania, I said, well, my illustrator is there. Why don't you invite her, too, to the book festival in Bucharest? And then we will have both the author and the illustrator signing and speaking at the event. Mm-hmm. And they said, great idea. We will send her an invitation and we'll pay for her to fly out to Bucharest for the event. And uh, when they invited her, she said, well, she'll bring her mom with her to translate. And I thought, you know, maybe she doesn't speak English, so that's why she's bringing somebody to help her with the event. But it was when I met her there, I found out she's been deaf and mute since birth, and she that was the first time she had ever left, left her city of Cluj, which is in the northern part of Romania. It was the first time she had ever been to the capital, and it was the first public appearance she had ever made. So it was a great oh. honor for me to meet her personally but also for her to come out in the public um, and show that she is this artist. And since then, she has gone on to write many more books, and her work is amazing. Um, I think that kind of opened it up for her. So she was 24 years at the time, so very young and not very confident, um, but really very talented. You know, it, it, it's like this just keeps getting, um, it's just like cooler and cooler, you know, it's just, uh, <laughs> it's like all fast, it's like you write with characters and the different places they go and the wonderful things that happen, and then it's like you live it as well, Suchega. <laughs> and I mean well, that in the very I'll... best way. You and all the books are based on true stories. So I've actually been to all those places and had similar experiences. So what you see Beato doing in those countries is actually me who is doing that. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, so Beato. Uh, a Norwegian forest cat. I had never heard of that, and I thought, you know, what an interesting looking cat. I'm not a cat expert by any means, but uh, how adorable he looks. So, um, do you? Do you... He's definitely 
a very unique cat because he is a Norwegian forest cat who weighs 20 pounds. He has seven toes in front and back. And that's probably the only one in the world because normally if you have an extra toe, it's in the front and it's six. He has seven times four. <laughs> and he acts like a dog. He really does. He'll come to the door. He'll chase the ball. He will greet everybody, friends and strangers. And he just, his mind, he has the personality of a dog. <laughs> okay. You're just going to, I'm going to go ahead and say this. When I read the book, I got that feeling. But I wasn't going to say it. <laughs> until I was sure it was okay but uh, yeah I don't know what I just got that sense from it and just uh, yeah I thought it was charming uh, and what a wonderful character to introduce uh, children to different cultures and and uh, places and people and ways of life I just think it's it's, it's, it's a very enchanting way and Obviously, it's a success. So, congratulations! That's, that's just such a wonderful thing. Um, Thank you. you Thank have, you very much. So, do you have uh, plans for more Beato books or for more animated cartoons? I do have plans for more books. Um, I was working on a book on Africa one country in Africa, but with the pandemic, things got put on hold. Mm -hmm. So hopefully next year, I will be releasing the sixth book in the series, and it will be some place in in Africa. Uh, Wonderful. Do you know what part? Have you decided yet? I have not decided. No, I have been traveling to Africa for the last few years and trying to research what would be the best story to tell. So, so much. Um, yeah, you'll have to wait and watch. <laughs> <laughs> I will, and I know I have to. So, because uh, you're not going to give it away, because um, you're not giving anything away, like you don't have it yet. I don't know. I think there's an <laughs> inkling of something there, but that's okay. Uh, my husband spent, and all the years, of, well, at least the first 15 years we were married, he traveled a lot around the world for his job, and he went to Africa many times, mostly to Guinea-Bissau, you know, guinea Conakry, but sometimes in Senegal um, uh, and different countries, different places. And sometimes he would be there for maybe two, three, four months. Wow. And, of course, when you're there that long, they were building these gigantic satellite dishes, the kind for uh, for broadcast or, or – um, military or something and so um you know they would hire a lot of local people and because they would be there so long they'd be you know him and his other crew would though they would be invited to dinner invited to events um which just you know he he's fine you can drop him anywhere and he's just gonna be curious and, and meet people and find out what everybody likes and i think the best one was when he said um there was one place they were building an antenna. It was almost time for World Cup, which, of course, oh. we Americans, we think the Super Bowl is a big deal. It's nothing like World Cup, is it? But, oh. For the rest of the world. And 
So the people were trying so hard to help them, not, not just the ones that they hired, but the other people um, to help them so they could have it ready in time for everybody to watch World Cup. So the feed would come through from the satellite, and uh, the people would bring food a lot for their lunches and dinners so they wouldn't have to stop. And he would always come home with recipes. Everybody would give him recipes and things. And I just think, I don't know. It's like a Beato could have been, you know, my husband's travel mate on some of these things <laughs> because of, you know, all, all the uh, stuff, the ways, the food, the recipes, fantastic, like that. Um, now, if, if you don't mind, I'd also like to talk um, about Go Eat Give. Sure. Yeah, Go okay. Eat Give uh, is a nonprofit organization I started in 2011. And the reason was because I've been a travel writer for a few years. And a lot of my readers would ask me, you are having all these unique experiences where you travel. And how can I also have them um, where I, I always volunteer in a, in a local charity visit or take donations to them? And like you said, go visit people, meet people, see how they eat, go to their homes. And that's not something you can book through a tour operator. Uh, you cannot... You can't go online on Expedia and book a tour where you're actually having an immersive experience. And that's uh, the reason my readers were interested in having this unique opportunity to travel more like a local, but without sacrificing the luxury. You know, they don't want to go backpacking and camping or take a gap year. They still want to go on a one or two week vacation to some place and stay in a hotel, but then they want to go and try the local food, visit people, get back in the community. So that's why I started Go Eat Give. And I had traveled with other organizations on their volunteering tours, but I also found that they were priced high but delivered low in terms of, you know, you I had to stay in hostels or sharing bunk beds. But I, I didn't feel like the professionals who wanted to travel wanted that. So with Go Eat Give, the idea is we are a nonprofit, so all of the money that you spend on your trip is reinvested in the community you travel to, which means from the hotels that you stay at, from the restaurants you eat at, and the tours you take, all of the money goes to local businesses. And... Um, portion of it is also invested in a project or any kind of social enterprise that we partner with. And we don't go in and say we are going to build a school or a house or this and that. You know, we partner with an existing charity that may be really small to have the marketing to be known, well, what, uh, to be have a presence on the Internet, but where you can go and make a difference. So I work with the executive directors and I ask them, what is it that you need from us this time of the year? And sometimes it's something as simple as we need blankets and mattresses because it's getting cold. Or I have also gone into places where I send the staff away and I talk to the people who are impacted, say in a safe house for women, and I would ask them, what do you need? How can we help you? 
and they would be like, oh, I just we need a new blender so we can make our own spices. You know, something so simple that you oh. don't even think about. You you're trying to go and like solve problems around the world and say, oh, we'll bring build a bathroom or build build a new house, but their needs are so small. And you know you can make a difference. A blender costs like fifty dollars. So that's that's the idea. Is you, it's a small impact, mm-hmm. but think that is direct, and you know effectively where the money mm-hmm. is going. Oh my, yes, uh, yeah. Because sometimes we can't even imagine what is really needed, and sometimes it could be so simple like that. But just don't think of it. Um, you uh, read your website, and I've seen some of your videos on uh, YouTube. You've shared the stage with people like Andrew Zimmern, Arthur Fulmer. You presented at the New York Times Travel Show, Travel and Adventure Shows, Global Humanitarian mm-hmm. Summit, uh, United Nations, Coca-Cola Company, um, and University Schools Rotary Clubs. There's do you find a lot of people who are already interested and do you, I would imagine that when you speak at these groups, like I said, I've seen some, if I wanted to do it in New York, that you probably like something in people that I would imagine that they're saying, you know, never thought of that, but that's exactly what, that, that, that rings a bell with me. Absolutely. And I'll give you the example of uh, this lady. She's a lawyer from California who traveled with Go Eat Give on one of our trips to Cuba many years ago. And we, as like all of the mission trips we have, we ask people to bring in some donations of uh, what our charities want. And over there, they wanted uh, office supplies. So she brought them. Uh, along with all the other um, visitors. And uh, we had projects through the week along with a lot of fun stuff around Cuba. And then when she went back home, she said that now when I travel anywhere, and she has two kids and uh, they go on a lot of family trips, I make it a point that we take donations to everywhere we go. Mm-hmm. And I ask them to pick out five toys that you don't play with anymore. And they pack it in the suitcase. They are in Mexico. They go to Thailand, wherever they're going, they always make sure to take some donations. And they also mm-hmm. realize that they don't need as much. You know, we consume mm-hmm. so much here. And then when you see that people who get by with very little, who don't have as much, but they're still happy, um, then you come back and make that effort to downsize, if you will. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Ah, beautiful. So it's uh, oh. a nice way to feel like you're you're leaving uh, more mm-hmm. than you're taking, but in a good way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the whole idea of sustainable travel mm-hmm. is to leave a positive impact wherever you go. Because we consume so much, we take from places that we go to, and we present ourselves in a way when we travel. So we are basically ambassadors of the countries that we are coming from, but then we are also consuming from the places we are visiting. And if you travel sustainably, you are 
leaving behind a positive footprint in the economy with the people in their hearts, a positive image of yourself, of whatever religion or cultural ethnicity or background that you may be. And that's not just about tourism. It's also about building global peace. And like we said earlier about harmony, you know, once mm-hmm. you're connected with someone, like you connected with these people in Japan, you're always going to think about them in positive light, no matter what the media tells you, because you have interacted with them. You know exactly who they are and how they behave. You know, so you're not going to be um, malleable by what you hear, but you're going to go based on your personal experience. Oh, definitely, definitely. And, yeah, when they invited me to their homes, it would say, can we, would it be okay if we ask you some questions about American people and why they do certain things? <laughs> and that was a, a, a big deal because I could tell they really wanted to be careful about asking them. Sure, ask me anything. Um, it's, uh, it's like that, you know, the Robert Burns poem about how, you know, seeing ourselves as others see us. You know, we don't always do that. And, uh, but it was fun, too. So, uh, yeah, it's different. We have personal connection with people. And it's not, not like just somebody at a restaurant, too, but where you're actually sitting in their home or sitting someplace with them and talking and just really relaxing. And I just think that, and I know you've probably heard this so many times, and uh, that you just, you feel like you're just, um uh, bringing a wave of a positive force on the world. I know you might feel like, I don't know if that feels too big for me to say, but I can see, and I'm sure many people see you, as somebody just um, just unleashing good on the world, like Dolly Parton, you know, somebody that <laughs> just wants to do, open people's hearts and minds to other people's hearts and minds and, and customs and cultures. Yeah, and Jennifer, when I was growing up in India, um, I grew up with my grandmother, and she was a social worker. But she was also the founder of uh, a nonprofit chapter of a New York-based organization called Servas, which was started after the World War II to build peace across the world. And idea with Saras was that when you travel, you can visit people, stay at their homes, and have conversations with them. And there was no cost involved. There's no money exchanged. It's just a goodwill gesture of hosting a foreign person in your home, trusting them, and then sharing your culture with them. So because my grandmother was a member, um, she was a founding member of the India chapter, we would have guests come and stay with us from all over the world. And as a young child who was kind of disconnected because we didn't have internet back then, um, it was my window to the world was to see these people. Um, They would come from Italy, from the U.S., from Canada, and they would stay in our house for a week. And I would teach them some words in my language, they would sit and have dinner with us. They would show me photos of where they live and how they celebrate festivals or they'll bring us souvenirs. 
So it was like a window to the world. It was like my National Geographic back there. <laughs> uh, uh, fantastic. <laughs> I like that. Hey, speaking of, oh, I'm so sorry. Um, no, no, go ahead. I've got, speaking of window on the world, um, we do have a caller here. And hi, welcome to Madame Perry Salon. Just come in and introduce yourself and say hello to Sucheta. Hey, Madam Perry, were you, uh, I, I was holding to uh, call in and, and ask a question, if that's okay, or did I interrupt I, someone else? Sorry. No, 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 you have interrupted no one. If you hear any barking, that's the only trying to, to escape. Um, <laughs> do I know this, this, this lovely voice? Hey, uh, well, my name's Larry Marcinko. Hey. How are you? I happen to know your husband, who uh, is, is a brilliant uh, musician and technician. And you were talking about your travels, and yeah, he was he was actually advising me, and so was Sucheta, um, as I uh, was preparing for my first European trip. So anyway, Sucheta, what an awesome uh, life, and so far, and um, I was uh, struck by the fact that you were I hadn't known this until I started reading it today. You were an investment banker before you you became a world traveler and, and writer, correct? That's right, Larry. Well, so was there a moment where you were like investment banking away and you said, gee, you know, I wish I was traveling and writing, or does it, is there some uh, kind of connection there? Um, how did that evolution uh, happen? That's a great question. So I went to school for in finance, and the way the culture, my culture, is you go to school, you get a job, you get married, and then you retire once you make so much amount of money. And I, when I started working in investment banking, I was good at what I did. I did make good money, but my heart wasn't there. I would come to work every day and think about my next vacation. And I'm sure a lot of us do that. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I worked for a European company, so I got really good vacation package. Uh, the only thing is that I would take four big trips a year and use all my bonuses on them. And I was like, how can I do more of that and less of sitting in front of my screen all day thinking about where I'm going next? And so my friend suggested, well, why don't you start a blog? You can write about where you're going um, because a lot of my friends would, and coworkers would call me and say, well, can you help us plan a trip or can you give us advice, kind of like what you did, Larry. And then I started writing the blog. Um, it was Go Eat Give, um, but the blog was just information about where I had been and advice to people where to go, where to eat. And then the blog took off. I started writing for some magazines in Atlanta, and I would write about food and travel. But it was actually over a five-year period that I made the transition of going from having a full-time corporate job to completely not having to do anything with corporate and traveling and eating full-time. That is so cool. So in a, in a way, it's like the corporate job, it, it provided the means at first, and it also provided the inspiration. It's like, let's get the heck out of here, go somewhere else. And uh, so that's a really cool uh, transition. Really inspiring. 
Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much. And I think, you know, we, we also are not risk takers as people. Uh, we are comfortable if we have a full-time job, a stable income. We identify ourselves with that. And it's it's a big risk to let go of it. And also to be in a position where you're not really having that stability of uh, income or success and to say, well, I'm just going to go ahead and do it because it makes me happy um, and then I'll worry about the rest of it later. I like that mindset. Really appreciate that. It's very inspiring. Thank you. For calling in. I'm sorry, folks. Uh, tell us about See, dogs are good people. Trip. Where did you go? <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. You're talking to me or is it probably Suchetta, right? No, uh, Suchetta, uh, well, we're, we're interested in where you traveled. Oh, me? Okay, well, let me tell you. So I knew I always wanted to go to Paris, so I spent some time there. And I noticed I'm, I'm your typical American. I'm, I'm just woefully ignorant about geography. So I looked at the map and I said, okay, what other countries? I know there's some other countries near, near France. Paris is in France. I knew that much. Okay, so there's Italy. Oh, cool. Always wanted to go to Venice or someplace. And then Switzerland is kind of like in between. So I went to those three. I started in Florence. Uh, and then uh, a friend of mine said uh, that Luca was a great place to, uh, to uh, spend some time. So that's the Tuscany area, which I only learned the other day. But at the time, just walking around Florence and then uh, uh, Luca and kind of learning as I went. And I wrote about it. I, I do a lot of journaling. And then to get from Italy to Paris rather than fly, I took a train and stopped in uh, at uh, Luzerne, Switzerland, by by the lake. Oh. And, uh, yeah, you know, took a... Took a train at a 45 degree-ish angle up to, up this mountain. It, it was great, um, really enriching. And then I wrote about the different countrysides and the details of, uh, that struck me about the uh, the different cities um, and towns. Uh, I was inspired by Jack Kerouac. Just you know, don't worry so much about style. Just write it stream of consciousness as it comes. You know, so. I was kind of playing with that, and um, anyway, sorry to talk your ear off, but it's really oh. enriching, and I do think that travel is one of those things that can really uh, increase your, your awareness, right, make you feel more alive, more awake. That's kind of the point of life, um, raise the consciousness, and then from that, you have a certain joy and you want to share, uh, which I haven't done all that much yet. I shared a, like a drawing out there on Facebook, but that's about it so far. But uh, Sucheta, I really appreciate uh, all of the sharing that you do because that's, to me, that must be half of the joy of the whole thing is to share it with other people. Absolutely. I don't think um, I would be able to do what I do if I wasn't sharing it. I think I'm, like we said, Jennifer, those people who came to my house when I was a little girl wore my window to the walls. And if I can go up and be a window to other people's world, I feel like I've fulfilled my purpose. And you have. Congratulations. <laughs> yeah, I agree. And uh, to check, I think I think in Larry we have uh, we have a new world traveler. He's got a taste of it. <laughs> and I think he's going to keep going, don't you? 
I think if you went to three different countries, it's a pattern, right? It's a, it's now you're a world traveler. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I'm going back to uh, Paris and elsewhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's something that must be done. See, I saw America by working uh, for for corporate America, and I would you know we went to different cities, and I would I would spend a little extra time uh, on my own dime and explore that city. You know, whether it's uh, Columbus, Ohio, or, or New Orleans. Um, you know, so saw America, and so there's always a way, right? And then uh, eventually, it's like let's let's try another continent, branch out a little bit. Yeah. All right. I'm glad you did, and I'm glad you called. Oh, thanks. Great show. Thank you, thank you, and thank you for uh, great thank conversation. Thank you. If it were for you, I would have met Suchetta. That's well, right. Well, this is really. Well, it's really enriching, you know, and I think that, you know, speaking of sharing, that's what we're doing here, you know, just uh, kind of spreading the word, spreading the joy of uh, travel and, uh, you know, those kinds of experiences. And I love the fact that you combine travel and writing because, as I was saying, I I love Jack Kerouac. And the, I've, I don't know if you've ever read the Dharma Bums, but that's my favorite uh, one of his books. And it's 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 hard to describe his his joyful use of language you know he writes with love of of people and places and experiences and there's a passage where they're climbing a mountain and it's like you are there so it's one of those things that makes you want to travel and write so it yeah. seems like those kind of go hand in hand cuz you got to somehow share yeah. it so that someone else can read it and consume it and actually be there to the extent yeah. that language language will allow yeah, that's it. And so check that in there. You probably know this too. And this is what uh, you just made me think of this, Larry, is that the reason I call this um, a salon is because I was always fascinated by uh, women in the past centuries of, uh, I think, Europe and, and the UK and Asia. There would be a patroness of the arts who would have a salon or gathering in her home on a regular basis. And there would be uh, what musicians, authors, painters, thought leaders, philosophers would come and share their works in progress. And that is thought, so cool. Oh, yeah, I pictured something like that when I saw your name for the first time. <laughs> really? Because that's what yeah. I thought. I thought that's what coming. I mean, that's how uh, J.R. Tolkien and C.S. Lewis met. But they were part of the same salon that a woman held in her home, and I thought that would be the coolest thing in the world. But hey, I can have mine in cyberspace. And one of the first was that Gertrude I, Stein by any chance? Do you know? Do I know her? Because I thought of Gertrude Stein, and it yeah. sounds like she did something like that. And that's where I, I, I know Hemingway and Faulkner, Joyce, at different times, kind of gravitated to to her place or whatever it was. I don't know. So Chica may know yeah. that. No, I I didn't. I'm not aware of that. Well, I went to Paris and I looked for Gertrude Stein's uh, resting place. Um, of course, Jim Morrison, you know, and I, I guess I'm veering off a little bit. But I wanted to see, okay, where did Henry Miller stay? Hemingway, you know, Joyce, all these guys. That was yeah. half the fun. Yeah, oh, yeah. That's what I, so one of, the first, um, one of the first guests I ever had, went back, and I had not even thought of this, but he went back and said, I've been on social media, he said, I've been to Madame Perry's salon, 
and it looks like the inside of Jeannie's bottle from I Dream of Jeannie. So that's what I'm calling it, the Jeannie bottle in cyberspace. <laughs> Excellent. So, and Excellent. Um, there you are. And thank, like I said, Larry, if it weren't for you, then my husband um, wouldn't have introduced me. Yeah, the two of you helped me know Sucheta and Sucheta. My goodness. I, for people listening, and I've got a couple of people here. I've got, uh, let's see, Marion um, in Dakota says, this is such a cool show. I'm already on her website now. Um, let's see. I've got Nicole, who's in Georgia, says, this is the coolest ever. Uh, and then she puts in the next message, in the next text. I know I say that, but every time you have a guest, it's like the coolest one ever. So, okay, thank you, <laughs> And uh, Well, they'll never uh, top this. I know, I know. And Peter in Illinois says, nice, very, very nice. You outdid yourself, madam. So thank you, Peter. So, Sucheta, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Jennifer. You're, uh, we've hardly scratched the scratch the surface of what you've done and all your magnificent accomplishments. I feel like a real slacker now. Um, but you've inspired me. You've inspired me to do a lot more, and, and uh, I, I'm just so excited to talk to you and have you here. I do hope you'll return to Madame Perry's Salon with the next book. I would love to. All right. Thank you. And, Larry, I can't wait to uh, read your first uh, read your travel journals, too. Well, Sucheta uh, inspired me. She also inspired me to learn a little bit of Hindi, full disclosure. Ooh, <laughs> nice. Yeah, I was trying to learn this song, and then she was giving me some uh, suggestions of songs to learn, and I thought, I love the way this sounds. I'm going to learn this in Hindi. Anyway, but thank you. You're welcome. Thank you for calling. Well, I think he was thanking you, Sucheta, but thanks. Thank you to you guys for listening and spreading and being inspired. And I hope everybody continues to travel and um, communicate about where they're going, sharing, and also connecting with people wherever they're traveling to. All right. And uh, the website is com, and I will be sharing it on all of my social media not just Madame Perry Salon, but on my personal social media as well, so that you'll have the link to go to her website, find out all the fascinating stuff that she can tell you, show you, get her books, watch the videos, and uh, and go eat gifts. You know, I've got a friend that goes once a year to I don't know where she goes, Singapore or someplace, uh, with some uh, with some veterinarians and people, and they they um, they stay and neuter dogs because there's an overpopulation. Uh, now, that's a go-eat-give kind of trip, I guess. So, um, yeah, I think that uh, we're all inspired. So thanks. Thanks, everyone, and look forward to the next show. And Sucheta, you're welcome anytime here in the Genie Bottle. And I'm going <laughs> to close <laughs> with uh, everybody's got to swing. And so this is Madam Perry saying thank you so much, and uh, I think you're wonderful. Be good to yourselves. Be good to each other. And now everybody's got to swing. Good night, everyone.
Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. 